My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Adeep Desai. Hello. Adeep. Nice to see you. Yeah. Going kind of long hair <laughs> with the... You're looking, you know, it's, it's a hipster thing, right? You no, look a little like a monkey, I like, know, like uh, of the monkeys. It is just months of no haircuts because... It, of craziness. Okay. So that, but everyone's like responding. Yeah, there's like a, a '60s mod. I don't. I yeah, can't. I know. I can't it, place it. I keep telling people, just, just, just time slipping, slipping away. Slipping, slipping. Yeah. Can, oh, see, you see, it all goes. Oh man, it's all right in there. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Stephanie Elaine here, and she will be singing for us <laughs> here. Stephanie Elaine, hello. Hello. Hi. So happy to be here. I, so sweet to come here. First of all, it was last minute. I was asking you on a plane. <laughs> Secondly, you show up here and there's crime tape in front of the studio. For some, there was. There was. It, yeah. And <laughs> it just happens. Stuff happens here at the studio. Now we're here. In and the haven. I, I'm it's just, beautiful. I'm so... I'm, you know, so impressed that I get to hang out with you in real life that, you know, you ended up in a class in real life and now here you are on the podcast because Stephanie Elaine has worked in Hollywood for more than 30 years. She has produced award-winning films, ready? Hustle and Flow, uh, Dear White People, um, uh, Beyond the Lights. Her next projects include Underground, a film about frat hazing at historically black colleges for Netflix, and Crushed, a half-hour comedy for Lionsgate Hulu, inspired by the only black-owned family vineyard in Napa. She's also director of the LA Film Festival and uh, a writer herself, um, currently working on a biographical project that uh, maybe you might want to talk about, maybe Absolutely. not, but it won't be sure. for me to say. Um, so so, tons of experience there. Oh, I should also add some Muppet movies that my kids are really, oh, really yeah. fans of. And Black Snake Moan. Uh-oh. <laughs> ah, now I know more about you. Adib is a huge fan. He was like, I was, we were going back and forth on, this, like, on the plane. Black Snake Moan. I'm like, what's Black Snake Moan? What is Black Snake Moan? It's um, Sam Jackson and uh, Christina Ricci. And Justin Timberlake. And, and Timberlake. I forgot. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's... It's about ba- the man who brought you Hustle and Flow. Yeah. Craig uh, he basically kidnaps her to set her straight. Sam Jackson kidnaps her to set her straight. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty uh, out there awesome. I think they've... It's uh, about love. It's about love. It's about connection, which most of my stuff hopefully is about. Yeah. Well, and so, so the Muppet movies, I just want to add to that, too. Yeah, Muppets. Because we've got Muppets Similar. in Space. Yes. And we've got yes. we've got Elmo and Grouchland. Oh yeah, which, a musical. It, Elmo and Grouchland was so <laughs> my my young my oldest daughter's favorite that we played it every single day. It was one of those. Wow. But then there came 
part with a big chicken. There was a big chicken in it that would freak her out. And she'd have to run to the next room and then come back after the big chicken. Right. But other than that, I just want to say it was you. It's about facing your fears. (laughs) And we like to teach that to children early. So how do you get from (laughs) how do you get from Elmo in in Grouchline to Black Snake Moan and Hustle and Flow? How how do these things all come together? Well, I think it really does start with Boys in the Hood. Okay. It really does. Because prior to that movie, to that experience, to that meeting with Singleton, I was a lover of story. I was a lover of movies. I loved reading. I loved novels. I had a degree in English. Um, and I was a, I was a reader. That's what I did. I, I read books. I read novels. I started at CAA uh, when I was pregnant with my first son. And uh, it was an easy thing to do while you're nursing, believe it or not. And, oh, to um, read while nursing? To read, yeah. yes, absolutely. Cool. So I was the only one with kids. I mean, I was very, very young. So yeah. I just had to make do. And, um, and actually, Wade, my oldest son, who is a writer, director, actor, and, and producer. I met him. He is he did so accomplished him. and yes. so cool. So yes, I credit him with like kickstarting me into the business oh, because before cool. then I was a bohemian <laughs> artist, dancer, poetess living in San Francisco. Um, but that moment when I read Boys in the Hood, I realized that there was an opportunity here. And that opportunity was to tell stories by people who had traditionally been underrepresented. And so, um, so you actually uh, helped pitch the idea to Columbia at the time and became the development executive on it or helped develop it? I read the script. I loved it. I did present the script with John attached to my, my supervisors, uh, who included Amy Pascal and Frank Price. And um, basically, they, they, they got it. They loved it. And they said, go ahead and make this little movie for $5 million. And that was really my indoctrination into Hollywood. Fake it till you make it. I'd never been on a movie set. I had no idea what was going on. But I knew that I was, my job really was to shepherd the vision, was to, was to, was to make space so that John could really have his say the way he wanted to say it. And, um, and John, really, that experience trained me as a, as a producer um, because it gave me insight into even if it's coming from one person, there's a, there's, a, there's a humanity to it. There's a why to it. It's not about the end result of the prod, project itself. It's really about having a human face or a human voice on something. And at this point, it was the death of these young, beautiful black kids in South Central and um, how to put a face on that. And I went to school in Inglewood. I drove up and down those streets as, as, a, as a high schooler. Um, I went to USC, which is in the hood, people don't know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I knew these kids, and, and I related to them. And the fact that I was there at the table advocating for this story that I understood really set the tone because I think because it was low budget, people were like, okay, fine. Yes, go off and do it. But, but you have to be at the table. That's why the table needs to be diverse. This is the challenge for Hollywood is to really open up the ranks a little bit so that people at the table can advocate for authentic visions that they relate to. 
Because let's face it, we can't all relate to everything. So the more diverse the table, the more diverse the slate and the more diverse the money coming in because people want to see themselves on the screen. That's the whole purpose of all, everything we do is to really see ourselves, have a mirror, reflect who we are and what we do, why we do it and how we love and how we can make the world a better place. Now, as a producer, how easy or how difficult has this been to do? Well, you know what? I've had a bit of success at it. Um, but I think it's because once I, I read something that moves me, that makes me, my heart beat faster, that I relate to, that I really believe should be on the screen, it's easy. Because that's the hard part. The hard part is just finding something worthy of that passion that can make people put millions of dollars down <laughs> on a bet that most of the time in my career, first-time filmmakers will will be able to deliver on what's on the page. And it's such a, I mean, I, I sit back sometimes and just wonder, like, wow, it, it is like magic because we're all dreaming together and we're, we're placing bets on other people's dreams and, and we don't even know what's going to happen until we see it up on the screen. And even then we don't know what, what's going to happen until it's really edited together in a way that makes an emotional impact. I'm curious how, I mean, you were a studio reader, right? Mm -hmm. You you said Mm -hmm. that. Columbia. Now you've got a project that clearly spoke to you, Hustle and Flow. You know, as a former studio reader, that thing's (laughs) got to pitch terribly. You know, it's about a pimp, and he really wants to be It's about a a pimp who wants to rap. And he has a hard time. (laughs) Well, actually, actually, the way that I pitched it was, it's about a pimp who wants to be elevated through art. Ah, now, if a pimp can be elevated through art, then, then so can you, and right. so can I. And it's, it's really about the lowest of the low being lifted up by creativity. That's really what it's about. And the other thing that really struck me was that in all of the lore of pimps and hoes, this was an under-glorified vision. This was a guy who's living in a shitty little row house, sweating in an old car, for 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. You, I now go off and be a pimp, young mm-hmm. man. You know what I'm saying? Like, it really did make it real in a way that was not glamorous. It was not anything anyone could aspire to. And then we took that guy who was the lowest of the low, who made money off of, of, of sexually trafficking these young women, and we gave him a purpose. And, and that purpose elevated him to the point where he, he didn't really want to do what he was doing anymore. And that's why it was powerful. And I did get a lot of pushback, especially from black women, you know, in the community agents and whatnot. And I had to get past them to get, you know, Ludacris, who was in the movie, I had to get past them to get um, the support that I needed to make it. And, um, and I think we delivered on it. I think we delivered. And then there was also sort of the, the music that crossed over as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Had you had your toe in the water with music before, or was this a new experience as a producer also watching you know, a, a, a single? Well, now that you bring it up, I had made two musicals before. Muppets from Space. That's true. And Elmo and <laughs> oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And my stint at the Henson Company, uh, which was about four or five years, was so rich in understanding the importance of preparation. Um, Because when you're working with puppets, 
you cannot expect the puppet to do anything that you did not plan for that puppet to do. If you want this puppet to move a glass of water, you have to bring the armature that will make the puppet's arm go sideways. This is just how it goes, right? So the idea of prep was so important. And of course, with musicals, you have a double layer because mm-hmm. you have to create the songs. Your, your um, actors have to learn the songs. Then when you play it back on camera and they're lip syncing and or capturing it live, that's a whole other set of, of, of shooting requirements. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say that Elmo prepared me for Hustle and Flop. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see a remake with Elmo as, it's, it's, I as like, DJ. That, was, that, that would be, be awesome. It's oh hard my out God, there for a Funny or die, yeah. where are you? Yeah. Elmo says it's hard out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Elmo, love you. <laughs> What what about um, uh, dear white people? Which now now you know now we're in the college arena. So yeah, did you? Which have, I've been there before because yeah, John and I made a movie called Higher Learning. Oh yeah, okay. I love that movie. So Higher Learning back in the day was that college movie yep. about the different factions on college campuses and how they combust sometimes because of ideology. Um, this is like a newer version of it because Justin Simeon brings his own Justinian vibe to it. Mm. Um, and uh, watching these four black uh, uh, characters, very different black characters, play out um, against this mostly white campus and against a post-racial America um, was such... A, I mean, we toured the country doing um, screenings of it for you have no idea what's going on. The college campuses are so politicized now. Yeah. It's so exciting to see these young people really, you know, you just, just, you know, I don't know if you can hear the beatnik thing that, you know, when they're <laughs> yeah, really yeah. digging it. Or if you introduce yourself, you have to say, hi, I'm Stephanie. I go by she, her, her. Right, right. Oh, no, that's, yeah, <laughs> in know, high school too I mean, with my daughter. Yeah, yeah. it's very, yeah. it's very, um, in your face, the idea of identity and, and, yeah. and purpose and, you know, it's so, the, the thing that struck me the most about that, the line that struck me the most was when Lionel said, I'm not, I'm too black for the white people. I'm not black enough for yeah. the black people. And sure. I feel like that as an Indian person. Right. And I was like, he was my, he was my character for that movie. He was nice. my guide right. for that movie. But yeah. I was like, this is, movie isn't really about me, but it's really about everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I could just identify directly with that statement. Absolutely. And, and that movie is so rich that I think... You know, people have to watch it a few times to really get it all. Well, and also because it happened before Ferguson, before Mike yeah, Brown, before right. all yes. of it. Yeah. Right. This was on the cutting edge of just understanding that it we're not in a post-racial America no, at all. No, not even close. Yeah. And your next your next film also is in the college world. Mm. Um, and it said it's about frat hazing. A sense hazing. of pattern. <laughs> <laughs> I do love young people. In fact, a lot of, I mean, I take such pleasure and, and pride in, in helping young first-time directors realize their vision. Gerard McMurray is um, a very talented uh, MFA um, graduate from USC. He was actually in Ryan Coogler's class. Um, he worked on Fruitvale Station. I met Ryan, and he said, oh, my God, you have to read my friend Gerard's script. I read it. I was blown away. It's such a beautifully rendered um, portrait of Hell Week on, on, a, on a black campus in the South where these young black men 
have been forced to uh, go underground in the hazing, which, which of course, anytime you put something underground, it gets a lot worse. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so it really tracks this young, idealistic kid who's just really wanting to cross over and, and gain the, f- the fraternity of these, this lifelong organization that, you know, w- it's all about career and jobs and, and, and lifelong friends and all these positives that come out of it, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. And at what cost it, will he become the the snitch to break the cycle of violence? Mm-hmm. So it's it's very powerful. We just finished casting. Oh my god! I wish I could say when does this air? Ah, uh, Friday. Okay, I can't <laughs> say. Um, <laughs> could uh, you make it before uh, that? Well, let that me just be say that the, the cast is so exciting with these young people. I love catching people at the beginning because you know why? They have a beginner's mind. They right, do not open. have any. Left to leave on the table because it's all just so new and fresh, and they're just bringing it up, and and it's just it's 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 where it all happens. I think at the beginning, so um, I'm really excited about that. Um, we start prep tomorrow. Oh Are you shooting here or in the south? Or? No, we're shooting in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yes, and my girl Mel Jones is uh, producing that, and um, I'm 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 hopeful that. Uh, Gerard will deliver because you know he's a first-time director. Now, um, you mentioned that you know if we if we want diverse stories on screen, it's not just the writers. You know, we're talking. You know, okay, we'll have a diverse story, but it's it'll be a white director. Right. Um, so, how important it is is it to you as a producer to make sure that your whole team is as diverse as possible? Well, I think it's really important. I mean, first of all, the stories that I'm really attracted to are diverse stories. From the get-go. So usually written, directed, and starring people of color. Um, What we need is to really make sure that not just the people on screen, but behind the screen, and to lift up. I'm part of the academy. It's like all the below the lines, you know, Mm -hmm. the the cinematographers and the editors. And there's a whole group of folks in Hollywood that are amazing at what they do. And um, because it's so competitive, you really, you know, you want to hire people because that's how you become excellent, you know, through practice. That's this right. just how it goes. You can't get around that. So you have to learn this on the job, right? A lot of, a the, lot like, of it, of the blow line stuff, especially. Of course. Right? How, how else do you learn? Yeah, I mean, you can't theorize practice. Right, right, right. So, um, so it's very important. It is very, very important. And, you know, just in terms of gender parity, because I'm also on the board of yeah. women in film, um, I'm part of this systemic change project, which is really about parity behind the camera so that, um, you know, the stats, 4% of the top 250 films were directed by women, 4%. And yet we're 51% of the population. So the, the notion is about, whose voices are out there creating the standards, setting the dynamics for uh, worldview? 96% are guys. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That has to change because we know the power of images. We know the power of storytelling. And like I said, when you have a different point of view, that should get out there so that it becomes part of the conversation and not dominated by 96% men and probably of that 94% white men. What do you Oh sorry, go ahead. Uh, what what do you think is the reason for the pushback against letting women direct movies and produce movies and and 
Well, I don't repeat the reasons because yeah. then it just becomes more reality. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It, it, there, there are no reasons. There are no reasons. Uh, uh, How about that? Except yeah. for, except just, for these sort of hidden biases. Just the except systemic, for systemic, bi- yeah, systemic bias, bias yeah. in terms of sex, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in mm-hmm. terms of you know sexual orientation. This is America, you know, yeah. and and. Yes, I'm sure we're better than a lot of other countries in the world, but in the pursuit of liberty and justice for all, which is what we what we stand for, mm-hmm. then um, certainly we can look at our own house and get it in better order. Yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do that in a sort of a meaningful, like a tangible way. You know, like we have ideas. We, oh, tell me, tell me yeah, some of them. Sure. I'm, I'm so really some, curious. some of the ideas are um, that. You like what they did in in um, football, the mm-hmm. Rooney Rule. What they said is, in order to um, give more parity and opportunity for uh, ball players of color or 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 um, coaches of color, oh, coaches, right. we're going to make sure that you must interview a certain amount of diverse candidates. Not that you must hire them, but that you just must interview them. Because you know how it goes. Oh, I have a movie. Oh, I know. I'm going to get my friend John to direct it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I know John. I love John. John's great. I've worked with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what about Mary? You right. know, I haven't worked with Mary. Mary could do just as good a job. So I might not even talk know. To Mary. Tell me what you think, Mary. Mary comes in and blows me away. I'm right. like, sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> Mary came in so prepared and said such a vision. I'm going to go with Mary. But you don't ever have that opportunity to make that choice if you don't insist that Mary get that interview. That's easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could do that right now. Nobody's going to be hurt. It's not going to cost us a dime. Mm-hmm. That, that, that seems so practical. <laughs> like, huh, interesting. I've been hearing some, some stories from writers of color, friends of mine, who they're like, oh, after all this stuff with the Academy happened, I started getting more interviews. And they would ask... What did you read of mine? And they could not answer it because they hadn't. The executive hadn't read anything of theirs. Right. They just said, "Oh yeah, we had a black female uh, writer director come in, right. and we can just check it off the list and cover our butts." Yeah. And, and um, well, to me, amazing. that's the troubling. That's troubling, but it's a step in the troubling. right direction. But, it, but, but but for for all for eight of those out of ten, maybe the other two are like, "Oh my god, I read that script yeah. and it's really good." Right. It only you know? takes one. And by the way. You like right now we're interviewing. I have two shows, TV shows, half hour, single cameras that are that are getting up. One for Hulu, one for Netflix. We're we're reading all these writers, and guess what? It's a lot of writers of color. And guess what? The studio is is educating themselves on all these writers because Mm. that's the voice of the shows, right? So you have to have jobs for people to actually learn the trade, Mm -hmm. to actually practice what you're doing. You know what I mean? It there's no other there's no other way. Now, can you talk about that Hulu show? It, I can. It says here it's inspired by the only black-owned family vineyard in Napa. This is true. The Brown Estate. If you guys don't know about the Brown Estate, you should Google it. Uh, they are the only um, family vineyard in Napa. Um, black family. They, they have 500 acres above the Silverado Trail, which is where the first runoff comes. They're famous for Zinn. Um, and their story has been so inspiring to the creator of the show, Tina Chisholm. Um, Tina and I worked together before on Peoples, which she wrote. It was her first time directing. I produced it. Um, and she also wrote Drumline. So she, oh, nice. she's, just, she's just funny and heartfelt. 
at the same time. Um, and she, she went up there. Um, we, you know, it's like when you're black, you, you take pride in black excellence, right? So, um, we were having a bottle of wine after people's, uh, that had been gifted to her and, um, it just wasn't that good and it was out of date. And we're like, man, where's the excellence? And my husband said, we have to open this bottle of Brown. We opened this bottle of Brown and we were saying like, now this is, this is black wine. We drank the wine. It was so amazing. And she said, I got to go meet these people. So she went up there and what she discovered was the story of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really about going from these kids who were, um, uh, their parents had uh, bought a huge swath of land um, as a tax write-off. And Mm -hmm. and also because they were, you know, just inspired by nature and farmers and, 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 where they came from and um and the kids grew up there and the kids basically they they sold their grapes to to grapes to Beringer or other places mm. they never cultivated their own wine and the kids decided they were going to turn this into a vineyard so the story is how these two just brilliant but a little you know a lack of focus kids turned this beautiful land into a world-class vineyard. And it's funny, and it's set against Napa, which is very tony and, mm-hmm. you know, farm-to-table. Um, and and also about the workers who are Mexican, the workers right. who work the grapes, you know. So it has all these different layers, and uh, we're about to go shoot the pilot. That's, that's amazing. What would you compare it to tonally that's on TV? Um. God, it's so it's so difficult. I mean, when we were pitching, I remember I kept thinking it's it's weeds meets Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> now most people don't even know Green Acres, so like I'd have it, Green Acres was a show about because there is a fair amount of 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 leaving the herb urban world for a, a right. richer, more um, more natural life. That that is a a really beautiful part of the of the show. That was the best pitch of Green Acres I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's so so great. Um, so I, I I just I just you know I've been sort of cheating by looking at your your Cosmo <laughs> article. By the way, if anybody Thank wants you. to find out more about Stephanie Lee, Cosmo.com. Cosmo.com. She just wrote this. Awesome, awesome article. Um, but I wanted to. Um, I, I, it, it's interesting when you've been pitching all of your ideas. You pitch them in a really concrete fashion, but you either start with theme or you land on theme. And I just wondered: is clearly you're you're drawn to projects because of, of their strong themes, but also it seems to work very well for how you pitch. Mm. Is that something that you would that you would Telling people to do? Well, look, here's the thing about Hollywood that I know for sure, which is passion is contagious. And it is the only currency, really, in Hollywood that's meaningful. I don't attach myself to something unless I understand why. Hmm. And the why of it is, is theme-related. It's, it's, it's because I feel that there's a message in there there's an entertainment in there that needs to get out. And once I understand that, like I was explaining with Hustle and Flow, the, the what is sort of superfluous because yeah. the what can be anything. And, and it changes all the time because even if you show up with something, you say, I have this, this star and it's going to happen, that star could be gone the next day because Star Wars called. You never know, right? So it's really about the why for me. 
um, and especially as I as I age gracefully, beautiful. I, <laughs> I feel that the time that it takes to um, create this laser focus that manifests projects. Um, especially in the world that we're living in now, it has to be directed toward um, some, comp, some, some good that can come of it. I, I, a couple years ago, it was like right after Sandy Hook, and I've never done like gun, violent, action-y things anyway, but I did have something that was kind of cool and hip, and like after Sandy Hook, I was like, called, I called the writer, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, did, I, I don't want to glorify any kind of gun violence, so that's off my list, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then when you when you know where you're what's motivating you to wake up in the morning and you have the ability to communicate that to somebody usually they want to be on the train with you usually they want to find an in to feel that mm-hmm. love basically um so there yeah so so th- so that brings us to to craft because uh, the the majority of people who are listening right now are writers mm-hmm. so they want to know how do they get a reader like you, an mm-hmm. accomplished producer, mm-hmm. to respond to their work. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you I mean there's got to be something that makes you passionate, but the the words have to get you there mm-hmm. to to get that passion going. What works for you when you're reading a script? When I'm reading a script, what what works for me is a vulnerability in the writing that is exciting. By that I mean, I can tell if someone is writing something because they want to write a thriller because they hear that, you know, last week the thrillers were out there and this is a good opportunity to get their script sold. Um, There has to be an an authentic sort of um, unveiling of what's really behind what you're doing. And, that's that's the most important thing I think for me as I'm reading. And then, of course, I w- I will close things if there's mistakes and spelling and just 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 on GP because I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. How what what's how many chances are you going to get for somebody right. to read this script and you can't even go through it with a fine tooth comb? That's not happening. I think that a lot of times the accomplishment of writing is so satisfying that you want to get it out there as quickly as possible. And some really good ideas for movies can can be set back by that kind of behavior because it's you you have to think of it as your one shot, you know, and if you're going to take that one shot, you want to make sure that you've written it, that you put it aside for a little bit, you came back, you reread it, you gave it to some confidants, you're really getting the kind of responses that you want to get. I hear so many people like, yeah, they didn't get it, but you, you know, you have to see what I'm trying to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work that way. That script has to be so um, good Basically, the, the, for, for all of your writers out there, the most important thing is that you know why you're telling the story and you have really used all of your resources to do the best version of that story that you can do. So that there's nothing, at this point, it's, there's nothing else you can think of 
There's nothing else you can think of. People are laughing at the dialogue. They're, they're on the edge of the seat. They feel relief at the end. Like all the things that you're hoping to do, you you are seeing that in in the reads that you're getting from people. Do then you, it's ready. Do you look for great introductions of characters? Like when you first meet a character in the page, do you feel like, ah, oh, I know who that person is or that was really interesting? Absolutely. And, and another thing, if it's not in the first 10 pages, no, that, that's all you have, the first 10 pages. So those first 10 pages better. I see a lot of, a lot of scripts where they're sort of warming up. You can, you can feel they're warming up. Mm-hmm. And you can even look at the script and say, you know what? You take up the first 18 pages and the movie starts here. Mm-hmm. This is where something's happening. You right. know what I mean? So, so too much setup. You're seeing too much setup too in much a lot setup of world building. Too much setup and nothing happening. Or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, by the way, read every single book on craft. Read Robert McKee, read Save the Cat, read Sid Field, read um, The Coffee Brick Spirometer. Which one? <laughs> Wait, which one? She Tell me which switch. one's yours. She just tried to slip in read, her book. Read Pilar's no. book, you guys, because here's the thing. Coffee Brick Spirometer. Everybody comes into it in a different way. Yeah. Find your way. Find the way that that a that a, a a master crafts person has has because it's all the same it's all yeah, the same yeah. and you have to be able to hit those beats and people say oh i hate that it's so formulaic and this and that but guess what it's formulaic for a reason and the reason is because over the course of 2000 years yeah. the storytelling technique has you know been shaped into a one sitting session of two hours, no more. Like there's just, it's just rules, you know what I mean? And so I'm very big on rules and then I throw them out. (laughs) But when I'm reading the script, I'm looking for something to happen by page 10, 11. You know, I'm looking for that inciting incident. I'm looking for the, the, the turning down of whatever the call is. I'm looking for Mm -hmm. it because it's there and all the good ones. Right. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So, um, I look for both those things, and at the same time, I just want my heart to beat fast. That's all. I just, I, just, I just want to be turned on. I just want to be wowed. I want to feel like I'm in the hands of a really great storyteller, so I can just surrender and go on that journey. You trust them to yes. take you on this I want, journey. That's and, right. Yeah. That's right. And, and you, can, you can tell within the first 10 pages if you're in good hands. Now, how hands are, are you with your writers once you've got a project going and you're giving them notes? Um, how many passes do you have them go through? Um, or by the time you're on it, are you sort of like, no, we're, my job is now something else? No, no, no. I'm, I'm story. That's where I come from. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly reading, constantly looking. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I love to do best. And people ask, well, you know, what are the best notes? Because I was a story analyst professionally at the mm-hmm. studios for many mm-hmm. years. Um, and the best notes are really just asking questions. The best notes are trying to like clean out what the intention is so you can help them get there. Sure. You know, so for me, I do not prescribe solutions. I do not, you know, suggest alternate endings. Mm. You know, I just ask questions like, do you want me to feel like this character is reprehensible? Cause that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I do. I do. Are we good now? Because you probably, I mean, you probably scare a few writers, right? Because you'll give them some straight I, I've talk. I've been told I'm really scared. <laughs> I have really? been. Oh, yeah. Uh, me. Look at me. I think it's, uh, I think because you're bringing so much to the table and, and people know that, then there's like, okay, yes, she's, she is looking at this thing from like 3,000 feet above. And that can be intimidating, I think, for a newer writer probably especially, but... 
Um, so I've been told. But it's so, I mean, how invaluable, though, for them, you know? Well, yeah, and for me, I think at this point it's that um, I just want to get there. You know, yeah, there's no yeah. ego involved. Right. I just want to get there. Um, so I'm just trying to bring, like you said, the the... the years of experience to the table, you know. Now, as on a on a commercial note, okay, mm. so so you get the script where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Commercially, what do you start thinking as far as, you know, how to get it made or how to get it out there? Mm. Mm. When you put on that hat as yeah. a producer, yeah. where do you find yourself going first? Yeah. Well, that's really the $64,000 question, right? Because you want to protect the integrity of the vision. And, and a lot of times that means it's, it's fresh. You haven't seen it before. So mm-hmm. that's something why you're really excited about it. Um, and at the same time, whenever you bring it to any established money people, all the, the way that they operate is through comps. So, you know, a lot of even with House and Flow, like there were no comps. Like we couldn't name another movie like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It was very right. difficult. Um, so they were like, okay, we can't name another movie like it, so let's just cast it with a rapper. And that will that will that will give us some assurance that we right. know the audience for it. So it right? reduces the risk. Reduces the risk. But we said, you know what? This is Terrence Howard. I, I don't know what to tell you. This is Terrence <laughs> Howard's story. And really, I think a lot of the um, hesitation was at because at the time, obviously it's pre Empire, mm-hmm. um, Terrence was that character. Like, he was saying to himself as an actor, is this it for me? You know, am I the guy who did Q on, on Best Man? And, <laughs> and that, like, is that as good as it's going to get? And we knew that. Craig saw that in his eyes. And, and we knew that he was a really good actor. And so hanging on to that in the face of um, commercial pressure to change it was what made that thing work. Hmm. And, and once you've been through the crucible like that, you trust your gut because at the end of the day, nobody knows nothing (laughs) and they only want to be around that, which is vibrant and fresh and, and, and uh, gives them some kind of life. You know what I mean? So I honestly hardly ever think about commerciality. It's probably why I'm not like, like a billion dollar producer. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't, I try to honor what's, exciting me about it. Um, and I think what's more important to me is, is, is getting images out there that really counteract the stereotypes and tropes that have, that have made money for years in Hollywood, you know? Um, and with the streaming, with the world being so connected, like all of the movies, whether they've you know, made a lot of money and most of them have made money, just not, you know, the hundred million dollar money, but the ones that are out there are doing the job of of spreading the word of who we are as a people and what we're capable of. And, I, and that's really the most important thing to me. My agent, Brian Dobbins, would say, no, you want to make some money. <laughs> now, is, he, um, is your agent, Brian Dobbins, going to make money off of your next project as a writer? Because you're writing, you're writing a TV show as well. Yes. And uh, yes. can you tell everybody a little bit about that? Well, a couple things. So I've, I've been a writer. I've been a closet writer um, for years. And, and, and probably because I was married to a writer as a woman, I kind of took a second seat. I became a producer. I became an editor. I became a reader. Uh, readers, I could do that with a kid. Um, my whole 
orientation was a support, support staff, right? Uh, and then I turned 50, and I was like, guess what? I'm halfway there. If I don't do what is really burning a hole in me, then it's, you know, I don't want to be here like 30 years after the fact going, oh, my God, I'm 80, and I never did it. Although a lot of people do late in life amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been writing the whole time, but just like in the closet. Like, you know, I would, I would finish some scripts and I would like maybe show a couple people and then I'd get some good feedback. And then I even had a couple of meetings with producers. But it was kind of embarrassing because I was, I was the rainmaker. I right. was the one who would identify the new writer and, right. you know, and the new director and send them on their merry way. And so in a way, I, I was holding myself back from that, I think, because the perception of me was as someone else. Right. Um, but then I said, what do I have left to lose here, you know? And um, I, uh, I got more serious about it. And um, uh, I write sometimes with a partner, Lenore Kletter, who, um, but way before Misty was even doing the Under Armour ad, way before anything, she said, this is, this is a book in galleys about mm. this young black ballerina and, you know, her her triumph over adversity. And we read it. And, you know, I went to, after I graduated from um, college, I went to grad school at um, Cal Arts and Dance. And oh, cool. uh, dance is just cool. a big part of who I am. Um, and we pitched it. And they said, oh, my God, you guys should write it. So we mm. wrote, we wrote a draft in a set and turned it in. And they really liked it. And, uh, you know, it's out there in, in the system, wending its way through the system to the screen. So and, I'm very and for, excited. For people, so this is Misty Copeland. This is Misty Copeland. An American ballet dance, uh, I'm sorry, she's an American ballet dancer for the American Ballet Theater, right? And she she's was a principal. Just she's principal. a principal dancer. Yeah. This is the big thing. Like yeah. the, Principal and and it like made yeah. huge headlines. Yes. Like yes. Also, there was some weirdness about like how strong her body was. Yeah, you because know? she defied the typical ballerina's body. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're big yeah. Misty fans. At oh all. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's you know. she's she's an, she's an icon, and yeah. and and I think her work comes from a, a deeper place. Yeah. yeah. But you see that as a, as a series, or you see that? As, no, that's a movie. That is that's a movie, a movie for okay. New Have you cast? Yes. But they are doing a series. Actually, I heard they're doing a, a ballet kind of series no we haven't cast no okay all right so yeah well, good luck with that thank you now, who's, who's gonna give you notes on that when that happens <laughs> hello uh, <laughs> our producers gave us notes it was very interesting i was so excited i was like yay somebody else is giving notes it's so great <laughs> um it's adam shankman and jennifer Gibgod, and they're really smart and they had some really good notes and um it was i always tell um Anybody who is in the business of making movies, whether you're a director or a cinematographer or an actor, just write a script so that you really understand the challenge of creating something out of nothing. And you have such a respect for the work that writers do, because we none of us would be here without mm-hmm. the writer. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank this you. Has been so helpful. It's been so lovely. Inspiring. Now, now, people should also go to the LA Film Festival. When oh, my goodness. The, LA the, Film Festival the comes out. It. I am the director of the LA Film Festival. <laughs> How do you have all this time? I, it's my fifth right? year. <laughs> Our festival is the most mainstream, uh, diverse festival in the world. We did have 40% of the films were directed by women last year, 35% by people of color. We're based in LA. It's June 1st through the 9th at Arclight Cinemas. And we're about to announce our 
lineup. It's going to be so, so exciting. And, you know, we're part of Film Independent. Film Independent produces the Spirit Awards, Film Independent at LACMA, the LA Film Festival, and a host of programs year-round, Writers Labs, Directors Labs, Producer Labs. Um, Filmindependent.org is the place to go. For $95, you can be a member. You get a chance to do all things year-round and vote on the Spirit Awards, and you get in your in your inbox all the movies that are nominated for the Spirit Awards. I mean, come on, people. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's an amazing yeah. 30-year-old arts organization that has been working on diversifying the industry for the last 30 years. Justin Simeon came out of a program. Effie mm. Brown came out of a program. John Chu came out of a program. It's it's pretty amazing, and... and, and um, it's it's also makes you part of a community of filmmakers in LA of independent filmmakers in LA. So um, everybody, write that down. Yes, write I was it down. Ask I love you film if there was if there was a website you wanted to point people to, but yes. you just did. That's it. That and is you can it. follow me at produced by Steph on Twitter. Excellent. Nice. Okay. Thank Thanks, you guys. so much. Yeah. And Adeep, where should people follow you? I'm on Twitter at Adeep. At Adeep. And um, do we have a Twitter now for? For a deep's hair, just maybe. <laughs> oh Jesus! I know we you know, were going to do a deep's sideburns yeah. for a while, but I think the whole thing. I know? have a few at lamb chops. At lamb chops, <laughs> I do have. There is an a deep's number one fan Twitter handle created by some stalker type really individual a stalker, and I have about twelve teenage girls stalking me <gasps> from Naperville. Illinois Aww. on Instagram. Well, you still got it. So stay in I'm like. I'm a dad to a girl, and I want to just like shout at them, like, "Don't do this weird stuff." Well, <laughs> just you know what? You know what? Just, 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 just don't act on it. But you know, oh no, I am just like watching them going. What are you doing? When you're dreamy, you just no, you know I, stuff happens. You go on a stupid TV show, and that's what happens. <laughs> and when that show ends up on Netflix, that's what happens. <laughs> and anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do one last shout out for sure. French Dirty. My two sons grew up and made a movie. Uh-huh. It's called French Dirty. It's on Netflix, oh, and that's and right. I'm in it. It's my acting debut. Oh well, well yeah. We'll I was watch talking. It. I was talking to one of your sons about possibly being on the show. Oh yeah. Wait. So he's the next person I'm going awesome. to <laughs> hashtag family business. Here. I want to do a, a little a little promoting of my own. Two things. One is um, the second edition of the Coffee Break Screenwriter actually comes out on Amazon today. Ooh. Finally, you can. Yeah. Yes. Just buy it, not pre-order it, whatever. So you, awesome. can, you can get it. And unlike the first one, I think it's, well, not unlike, it just integrates TV uh, a little heavier, sure. okay? Sure. More TV in it. So definitely pick that up if you get a chance. Also, the TV class, um, it is a one-day TV class. May 1st, It's that's a Sunday. It's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. with Carol Kirshner as a guest Oh, speaker cool. for the last hour and um, I I've got done to, that class yeah, it's fantastic thank you Stephanie. I use that class actually I use a lot of that when I'm out pitching it's work, it, very helpful excellent thank you Stephanie well, that's awesome Stephanie just I know like my glass. I know <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's that's before I go do a happy dance I'm yeah. just gonna sign off and say thanks again to Stephanie yep. thank you to Adeep thanks thanks to everybody who's listening and have a good writing week <laughs>